Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ah, good morning, Vietnam. Oh, God. <laughs> Hello there, and welcome to Callum and Johnny Have a Podcast. Close enough. <laughs> I, know, I, you, I know you're doing this just to wind me up, so I'm, I'm not taking the bait. <laughs> I'm not angry, I'm just very disappointed. Hello there, and welcome to Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. Hey, got it. I am Johnny. And I am Callum. And we are back for another week of exciting, fun podcasting. Film, about f- film, fast, film, tastic. Sorry, I got twisted in my words there. Film, tastic podcasting. I'm disgusted. <laughs> I'm disgusted by that. So, this week we are here to talk about some movies, as ever. Two movies, in fact. One old and one new. Indeed, we are. And one new and one old. And there is something linking them. Actually, probably one of the stronger links we've had in the 10 episodes that we've had. <laughs> so in the last few. Um, and what... Oh my goodness, what are the rules first? Tell me the rules of our podcast. Well, each uh, episode we review two films which are thematically linked or linked by um, uh, an actor or a director or some, some force that links the two films. And today the two films are going to be inspirational Brit flicks of which there is a very strong subculture and one film has to be fairly new at least and one film has to be available online to watch whether it's five years old 10 years old 15 years old or a million years old just something that has to be around available that people can see and very quickly without any pause or hesitation what's the name of our podcast the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. There was a hesitation. There was a slight hesitation at the start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as ever, there is a plea if you have a better name, please give it to us. But why is it called the Untitled Film Podcast? Because we couldn't think of something better. Oh, actually, no, we did think of something better. It was double feature, but that was taken. 
It was. But what does untitled mean if you talk about untitled things in the film industry? It's when a film is still in development, um, whether it's still in the script stage or it's being sold to studios, it'll often be untitled comedy movie. Um, an example that you used, I think, on the very first episode was uh, American Pie. It was something like the untitled uh, comedy that will cost $10 million that the studios will hate, but the audiences will love, or something like that, something along those lines. And why have I asked you to re-go through all these things? Well, we're on episode 10. Uh, 11. 11, Jesus Christ. How time flies, people. <laughs> it's uh, we've, we've picked up some new listeners in the last we've, few weeks we've from the, up the statistics tell us. So just, um, yeah, just thought we'd have a, do a little bit of uh, cleaning house. We, we've had a bit of a bump, and we're, we're slowly growing out, growing up. We've started getting our first reviews and if you do want to come and review us give us five stars really helps us out if you want to give us one star don't yeah bugger off yeah that's what we're saying four maybe anything less than four don't review time wasting parasites to the left as beyonce would say exactly and yeah so that's why we've done that and speaking of which there's something else that you can do to support the podcast which is you can go onto our socials. We are under Untitled Film Podcast, one word, on Facebook and Instagram. And I can't remember what we're on on Twitter, and I think that's a bit of a running joke. I think we have one post on Twitter made about eight weeks ago, and we more or less abandoned it. But if we get... Well, let's be honest, Twitter is fucked now because of Elon Musk. Elon so, Musk is um, cutting the legs out from underneath it and pissing on its grave yeah. i mean anytime you have to sell three billion dollars worth of shares from one of other companies to keep your new company you just bought afloat you you, you done gone done something stupid what a miserable little man on his miserable little website but if we do get enough people and if, if we do get enough interest we might find a way back there for its dying death throes but you never know so untitled film podcast on facebook and instagram are the Particularly main Insta- i feel like instagram's the one where the most action happens. most action and most fun as well Speaking of which, what action and fun happened on there this week? Well, we asked the question. We asked people what films by the filmmaker Zack Snyder do you enjoy and why? And defense. I think actually, I think we need to read the proper question because it was a masterclass in Johnny wrote it. Um, in in nuance, uh, in subtlety. Yeah, in the takedown. Let me let me get it up. Man searches for what something is on Instagram. That guy. What is our What's our podcast called? Untitled. It's an untitled Tippity Gibbet with the Tibbities and the Dibbities. So, uh, the, the question was We all know Zack Snyder is an idiot who has no taste, never understands the material, and he needs an editor more than we need to drink more water. But has he made any films that you like? And if so, why? Zack Snyder is currently crying in his bedroom. He was just about to give us a big endorsement and he's going to put it on all his social medias with millions of followers. Follow these guys, but now he won't. Well, I think you should follow it for questions like that. And we got a whole one reply. Yes, and that's why you need to follow because we want to open this up and make it a conversation, make it fun and groovy, slick and fun. Uh, But at the moment, we we have one reply and um, we would like more. And we got one reply, and that reply is from someone called Dog Brains Video. Never heard of them, Never don't know anything with to them or, or about them. But anyway, uh, the original Man of Steel was on TV the other day. I like it, exclamation mark. But I think that just because at the time Smallville had ended three years prior, 
and was so hyped to see a new Superman take with a what? See a new Superman take with a big budget at the time. But these days, dot dot dot, I think it's the best Snyder film. Just because everything else has done, he's done since is so bad in comparison. Why does everything look like it has the colour palette of tinfoil? And why do the physics in his films look like everything is underwater? Anyway, Man of Steel is my answer. Even though Clark chooses to kill thousands of people in the final battle by slamming the baddies through skyscrapers when he could have just chucked them into space. It's very true. And I understand that frustration with uh, Man of Steel. I remember being very excited for it because I am a big Superman fan. I love the 1975 Christopher Reeve Superman. And I love that whole hope, Lois. Hope is the key. And I, I'm a sucker for that. And the first two thirds to half of the film gives you some of that. It, it does. And then it goes, nah, fuck it. Chuck him through a building, mate. Yeah. Uh, I think it kind of started off, although I think some people found it a bit too slow paced and things, but it kind of started off almost a bit of an expl- exploration of his youth and, and his father issues and his... Lois Lane. And you can see there's inspiration with um, Terrence Malick. You know, the camera work has that sort of handheld looking through the cornfields sort of stuff. And there's there's some stuff to liken there. And I think that is the most frustrating thing with Zack Snyder is that he knows how to throw an image together every so often. But that is Zack Snyder. Dare I say he's a bit Michael Bay in that he isn't a bad cinematographer. Mm -hmm. And he has some good ideas at times, more than Michael Bay does. Um, but he can't, he, he doesn't understand the source material normally. And because of that, he fails to come up with something that feels like a properly finished product. It's more and of a any, compositor. He knows yeah. how to composite an image or a moment. And any time that he gets close to making a good film, like with Watchmen or Man of Steel or 300... 300 probably being his most complete, although I'm not a massive fan. Um, he then just just misses like the soul and the, the thought of the original source material. Um, and I, I think that's the issue. And I think that's the, yeah. And also um, Doug Brain is right about the colour palette of all his most recent films. Like it was much better in, um, uh, it was much better in, um, in Watchmen, actually, but at, mainly because I suppose he was using the colours from the, the comic. It was but, very much a case of copy the panels, yeah. panel for panel. But everything else, everything he's done with... Like, when you think how... I know they were dark and brown, but how beautifully shot the Chris Nolan Batmans were. And to go from that to, like... And also using all the practical effects and that kind of thing to using like slow motion muddy brown very sludgy eye yeah it's just hard to see what's going on and it's just meh if you had to choose a Zack Snyder film that you liked or even just something about the man that you like right because you did call probably him an what, idiot Watchmen is probably the one but that's probably because I like the source material and I like how it's shot and I think they picked good character actors to play or, the, or he picked or he or they or whoever picked them uh, you know, pick good character actors to play other roles. And again, it misses the point of the source material. Completely misses the point. But, you know, maybe it was quite a hard film to 
put a hard, quite a hard book to put into three hours, maybe it should have always been the HBO series that they threatened for years and never did. So, well, well they, they did they have now. Yeah, but that's a prequel, really, isn't it? it? No, it, it's or not a prequel. It's, it's post. It's yeah, uh, post later on. Then. Yeah, so it's a bit different. But like they originally were going to do one that was kind of was the story of the. They've been the, trying to do a version of Watchmen since the eighties. So maybe I'll cut him some slack on that one. But that's about it. I, I never really like three hundred, but then I don't really like the story. I don't really care. Um, so maybe that's why, maybe that's not his fault. It's not a terrible movie. Man of Steel has its moments, but everything he's done since is fucking awful. I really despise everything he's done to the, uh, DCU, DCEU thing. Which actually brings me to the news. (laughs) My first piece of news is the, it is being renamed the, DCU, isn't it? And I don't know. James what Gunn doing. is taking it over. Yes, he is. So James Gunn of Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel fame, who also did the Suicide Squad, and also did the um, what's the the guy from the the the, the John Cena one? What's it called? Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Very organised ship. This. Yeah. Also did the I know he's glugging beer over there and I'm forgetting the name of yes, the Yes, if you TV hear show. slugging and, and gulping, that's that's what it is. That's Callum drinking beer. Um but yes, um he's a triple alcoholic. Uh yeah. So and he's helped you. people. Um but yeah, anyway. Um yeah, he is a um he is taking over with another guy, the the DCU, as it's been renamed, and hopefully is going to write it with what seems like hundreds of Shazam-based movies because there was Shazam. It's the only one that's kind of done And now Black good. Adam, which is a spin-off from Shazam. And then Shazam 2. So, yeah. And there is a spoiler in the post credit scene for Shazam, but I, I was going to say it, but I probably shouldn't because there might be people who are listening. There's a big one. A reintroduction of a someone. But yeah, they're basically spinning off Shazam into 800 directions. Because and... Shazam is the only one to really give you that sort of old school magic of you know, old fashioned Spider-Man and Superman and the early Batman films. It's the only one other than Wonder Woman, but even Wonder Woman after the first film kind of stumbled at the second hurdle. I feel like it was also probably quite inexpensive. Yeah, probably comparatively, yeah. Um, but... But I actually have been everything that Zack Snyder didn't touch. I've quite liked. Like I quite like. I know he was kind of involved in the first Wonder Woman, but I quite like the first Wonder Woman. I have issues with it. Um, I really love Birds of Prey. Like absolutely fucking love it. Really liked the Suicide Squad, not Suicide Squad. Um, I really like the Peacemaker TV show. I really liked Shazam. Um, so yeah, pretty much everything I've seen that hasn't been like really closely intertwined with the with the um, uh, the the Schneider Cinematic Universe part of the the DC. even Aquaman has its moments. Yeah, but that still feels quite Schneidery. It's still got all his DNA all over it. The ones that don't have his DNA are, are all over it are the best ones, in my opinion. But but yeah, um, so I feel like I, I feel like knowing that I liked what happened with the Suicide Squad the. Um, and knowing how much the Peacemaker TV series is absolutely fucking brilliant, um, I am I'm quite excited by it. So yeah, that's my piece of news. Well, that is very exciting. I, I do love James Gunn a lot, and I hope all the best for him. Uh, apparently, um, everyone's very excited about him moving over from Marvel to DC. Everyone congratulated him. There was no bad blood or anything that, you know, are made up stories on the internet that find their way and everyone was very happy and cheering him along 
I also quite it's quite interesting that I feel like Muscapine is going to be very busy for the next few months, and the reason he's going to be very busy for the next few months is he's still finishing off Guardians Three. So he's going to be doing post-production on Guardians 3 and also taking over a whole cinematic universe. So. What a mad lad. Yeah. Unfortunately, in my um, bit of news, it's it's a bit of a shame because I was actually looking forward to this. Margot Robbie-led Pirates of the Caribbean spin-off, Killed by Disney, Oscar nominee says. So there was this thing planned for a long time that because Johnny Depp is an unreliable fuck-up who can't get to a set on time, not drunk and not on drugs and not beating up security guards and what have you. Um, they were going to do a spin-off of Pirates of the Caribbean with Margot Robbie, and I believe Karen Gillan was also involved at one point. Uh, that's two two good characters. Actually. Absolutely, and Margot Robbie is the kind of actress who probably is an equivalent to Johnny Depp, quirky but also serious and enough thesp to kind of give it weight, but also give it fun. And she said that um, it was in developments. They had they should have brought about Penelope Cruz as well. Her yeah, she's cool. character. It was in development for a long time, but it it just like a lot of these things eventually fell apart. So it's not going to happen, unfortunately. And uh, that was something I was looking forward to. Um, I mean, I massively have nothing against them, and I think obviously horrendously the internet always turns on them. But I don't think that many female remakes of, of you know, kind of or spin-offs of franchises have done that well. So maybe that was part of the thinking. It but. probably was. They probably looked at the box office of things like Ghostbusters, the 2016 one. Which, which they did Ocean's 8 as well. Ocean's which 8. I quite like. And you know, it's better than Ocean's 12. None of these films were out-and-out flops, but they yeah. were all disappointments. They... they were intended to make more money than they should, and they didn't. I think the thing is, if you're Disney now, and the film's not going to make you know over 750 million dollars why would you bother because you you make a disney animated film a year a pixar animated film a year three marvel animated animated three marvel movies a year a star wars movie a year and you've got then probably one room for like one other thing Slightly every quirky year one because otherwise you, you're going to be releasing a film every month and then they start eating into each other um and, you know, why risk $200 million on, on something that, that's not going to make money and when you've got something you think Pirates will? of the Caribbean franchise, even with its lead figurehead of uh, Captain Jack Sparrow, was starting to... It was wavering towards the end. I think the last one made something like $600 million compared to a previous 800 and a previous um, billion. And, and they the had previous, to pay Johnny Depp like $70 million of that, so... For him to just kind of stagger out and only do the close-ups. And only turn up on certain days. And... He's getting to that uh, Steven Seagal period of his career. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe maybe he's turned it around now, but we'll see. We'll see. My second piece of news is a, a piece of news from the world of podcasts, although it was also a HBO special. Have you ever heard or listened to the podcast, My Dad Made a Porno? Oh, well, love, my Dad Wrote a Porno. I so. love that podcast. Uh, it's coming to an end after six seasons Aww. and no movie. Oh, too bad. Community reference. Um, but it is coming to an end. Apparently, uh, the porno is at a point where they think it ends quite nicely, so they've decided to end it. Um, they've had two live tours, six seasons, like 150-odd episodes. Um, and, yeah, that's it. But they said that they, it's not the end for the brand. Other things will happen, but it just seemed like a good place to end the podcast. So one day when our podcast is as big as that, um, we will probably end it. Right. Give us five stars. Give us five stars. And share, like and subscribe, share and send to send to all. If we whisper, it's subliminal. What was the TV series that used to do send to all? 
I do not Michael know. Michael McIntyre, or maybe it was Michael McIntyre. They used to be one of like the, or, or Jonathan Ross or something, they used to do a thing called Centre All, where they would each swap phones with each other and have to send, they could send any message they wanted, but to every single person in the message book and see what replies they got. Interesting. I never saw that one. Wow. There you go. Things that you should do. Uh, send, get your friend's phone and send a message to every single person in it that says something like, would you like fancy a pint and then see who comes back and if like random people it's like your builder from four years ago goes yeah why not mate sounds quite fun it does sound like a good idea shame it's already been done we could have pinched it well well, that could be our podcast send to all a podcast anywho um, on to your second bit of news we go on a tangent somewhat we uh, have some good box office news and that's uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever has smashed the November record to be the highest grossing film to open in November with $181 million in the US and 331.3 globally. It's not quite as high as the first Black Panther, which opened to $200 million, um, and slightly higher than 330 globally. But it's still excellent. It's the second highest opening this year after Doctor Strange and the Tibbity and the Bibbity. And it's... Um, you know, it's 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 a slow news week, I'm going to be honest. I was searching for about 15 minutes for something pretty good, and eventually I was like, fine, a Marvel movie opens to 180 million. How predictable. I mean, yeah, it's interesting, because I was expect fully expecting this to be a massive letdown disappointment, because no Chadwick, sadly. Um, but actually, I hear it's really good, and I hear it really pays nice good. homage to him, and I hear tears are involved if Kevin Smith's Twitter's anything to to go by so yeah no it's uh, I'm, I'm actually quite excited but more excited than i've been for a marvel movie for a little while i understand that the tribute to chadwick gives it weight that wouldn't have been there otherwise so it gives it extra heft that is perhaps not necessarily in the material but it's just felt exactly and speaking of heft onto our first movie full of heavy weight welsh actors is that really the the link that we're going with that is the link i'm going with and i am sticking by it (laughs) um uh, shall i do the the intro for this one yeah go and you can do the intro for dos film so uh the film is called save the cinema uh, and it does what it says in the tin really um it is set in carmarthen in wales uh which is a sleepy town. I'm just trying to think of what, it, what it's known for. It's not an ex-mining town. But anyway, sleepy town in Wales. And there is a cinema there. And everyone loves the cinema, especially the children of the town who four or five times a year get to put on a play, which seems to have massive high production values and budgets. And every single person in the whole town seems to be incredibly talented at singing and dancing. Um, And then something happens. Some evil property developer decides he wants to close down the cinema and build a shopping arcade with um, the mayor who is in his back pocket. Um, And the town has to try and save him. This is an incredibly bizarre movie. (laughs) It's... Almost exist. So I should say it's a true story as well. So this week it's uh, inspirational Brit flicks, and it, you know if there's anyone listening in America who's not familiar with this, 
that this is a particular trend of movies that we do here and kind of almost exclusively here in the UK. Films about, um, you know, small local issues where you get a bunch of old actors together to um, to kind of play play regional where they get to do their best Welsh accent in this case or in, in the next movie that we're going to, going to do, the best northern accent. And it's always... They're, we know what to expect from them. They're very typical. Um, there are plot points that we expect, and we expect uh, triumph over adversity. We expect um, you know good versus evil with the small little guy and this inspirational stories uh, triumphing o- over the big, you know, the big baddies. But this one is—it's almost as if that's been filtered through one of those AI art filters that bring back incredibly bizarre results, like those apps that you can get on your phone where you type in something like um, Elon Musk wearing a banana for a hat and it brings back this image that's sort of like a dream world sludge of an amalgam of a banana on Elon Musk's head. It's like nothing in this film makes sense or works at all. Um, you got all these incredibly talented actors uh, together. you got Samantha Morton, uh, Cole Meany, uh, Elon, Elon Musk. No, Elon <laughs> Musk is not in this film. I've just said his name a few too many times. Uh, Tom Felton from the Harry Potter films. And you've got two or three actors who I wasn't familiar with, but apparently they've been in 100 episodes of this American TV show or that American TV show. And you get all this talent together for this horribly shot, horribly scripted. Ho- it's nothing about it works. It's like it exists in a plane of reality all to itself. But despite that, despite everything I just said, Despite ever knowing that the uh, composition of the cinematography, awful. Editing, terrible. The acting, serviceable, because most of them are good actors. You've got Samantha Morton, two-time Oscar nominee. In there, you've got uh, um, uh, Jonathan Price. I forgot the name of Jonathan Price playing the kindly old man. But even though nothing about it works, kind of enjoyed it. We watched it together. We had a pizza and kind of worked for that. Kind of work for um, mate in a pizza movie, you know. Uh, what what are your opinions on it? Um, yeah, it was all right. I think that's uh, that's pretty much sums it up. You just just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I should probably start off that I'm maybe slightly biased in that my family live near Carmarthen. Um, so I've never been to the Carmarthen Cinema. I've only been to Carmarthen once to the train station. Um, but they live near there, so it's a nice local story about local people. I'm not Welsh. They're not Welsh. They've only moved there recently. I've to preface all this stuff, I feel like. Um, but anyway, and um, it... Do you know what it most felt like to me? Uh, it felt most like a kind of more recent... Um, uh, I've forgotten his name. Love Actually... Richard Curtis? Richard Curtis. It felt like a more recent Richard Curtis movie in that it's an absolute fucking mess, more of a parody of one of these kind of British movies. But you still quite like it. Like The Boat That Rocks. The, the thing with these all these films, these these like the, if you if, like most Americans, for our American audience, you'd have probably seen Notting Hill and stuff like that. And that's when you're at P- or, or Four Weddings and a Funeral or um, The Full Monty, which we'll talk about in a bit. This that's when those movies go well and work and and are really good. 
And then you've got things like The Boat That Rocked, which is one of Adam Curtis's newer films about a pirate radio station. Richard Curtis. Richard Curtis. What did I say? Adam Curtis. <laughs> I like Adam Curtis a lot more than Richard Curtis. Um, yeah. <laughs> Somewhat different. Um, and, yeah, it's, it, it, it's an absolute mess. Um, some of the Welsh accents in it from the non-Welsh... I assume they're non-Welsh. Tom Felton, is he Welsh? No, he's not Welsh. I was going to say, because his accent was not Welsh. Um, and things like that were pretty terrible. I mean, the cinematography was obviously shot by someone who has TV. There was nothing... There was not a single shot in it where I thought, that's really well done. And um, that's charitable, I think. Because there were some shots that were just incompetent. <laughs> um, and... It's so lopsided. Like the first two thirds of the film happens and not really much happens. It doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And then the last, all the plot seems to happen in the last third of the film. And and it doesn't really explain away how anything happened or how the first bit, I mean, uh, this is quite hard to do without, without spoiling the movie. But I also feel like, can you spoil something that happened in real life? And the name of the, the title of the movie also kind of, tells you what happens at the end it's a it's a hard one to go down because you never know what people i know are going to expect but anyway the 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 part the, the title of the movie the real bit of that happens in the last like 10 15 of the movie maybe 20 percent if i'm being charitable so what is happening in the first 80 percent of the movie they very much stretch out this plot line about how the evil mayor is going to uh, knock it down and turn it into a shopping mall and there are four or five so four or five attempts where someone is standing in front of a wrecking ball or they lock themselves into the cinema and they they have to keep ringing out the same plot line the same plot point even about five times because they realize <laughs> i don't also, think we don't have enough for a movie here and they also keep trying to add little bits of drama in and it's like um they get resolved immediately yeah it's like the, the there's one point i mean this is in the first like half i mean i don't think any of you are going to care or ever watch this movie but the first part of the movie there's a, for, for like four minutes of the movie the the, the main the protagonist and her husband have a mild tiff yes and and then it's just and then it's over. It's over. And no, there's no really any resolution or anything happen. It just one minute there's a bit of a tiff. Oh, your your father he doesn't support me. You don't. That's my what accent Welsh that? accent. Um, and then it's like, oh, he's a lovely guy. Your father. It's better than Tom Felton's. <laughs> wow, exactly. Um, yeah, but I still quite liked it. It's it's a bizarre experience. It's a very bizarre experience because yeah, it's kind of mildly enjoyable in a sort of sitting around with a pizza sort of way yeah. or nothing about it works it would work on i didn't watch this one on a plane but it would work on a plane maybe i imagine it would if you're like having if it was the time not when you're actually trying to concentrate and watch a movie on a plane but the bit when they're serving you dinner and you have to like take your headphones off a second yeah i'll have the chicken um and then stop hitting your microphone they... <laughs> sorry rob um, and then they come round with, and then they come and say, oh yeah, I'll have a couple of beers as well, please, with that. And, and they, that kind of time. And then they come and they take the plate away and you have to say, hey, thank you, and stuff. That it kind of would work at that point on a plane. Yeah, I can imagine it working on a plane or on a Sunday afternoon on a rainy day or something like that. It's very disarming in a way that, you know, you 
any film that has Samantha Morton in it, two-time Oscar nominee Samantha Morton in the lead, and Jonathan Price in a supporting role, and people like Colm Meany and that guy from Four Lions, whose name I can't remember. I quite like there. him, though. I like him, too. I, I like he, all these people. Rubber, no, he's not, he's not Rubber Dingy Rapids. That's um, Face Jack, but the other guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's very disarming because, you know, you watch those guys, you watch those people, and you go, okay, I can watch this. I can sit and enjoy these people, even if the material given is the most fluffy thing. But it is bizarre. Like, it, it's almost like a, like, like you said, it's almost like a parody of a inspirational Brit flick in that it's almost like they're taking the piss out of things because the plot lines are so wrenched for drama. Like, oh, no, they have a tiff. Ah, uh, no, it's over. Oh, she's locked herself in the cinema and they might knock it down. Ah, uh, they won't. And every plot line kind of goes like that. I feel like as soon as you call something Save the Cinema, though, it's not... I mean, it would have to be a real curveball for the cinema not to get saved. I found myself thinking by the hour point, I couldn't give a fuck if this cinema is saved. Because usually the, th- the thing that makes these inspirational brick flicks work is that the thing that they're fighting for even if it seems frivolous, even if it seems frothy on the surface, and we'll talk about this with um, The Full Monty, it has to be something that, if it doesn't work out, has real emotional devastation for the people involved. Their lives, their jobs. A really great example is the film Pride, where if the things don't work out, so many people will lose their jobs and people the discrimination will get worse and worse for the characters. Here it's like, oh no, they might lose a, a, a building that they all love. And even at one point, the, the dad says, it's like, if they, they bring this mall in, and I'm not going to attempt a Welsh accent, Johnny, this is how you do it. Um, if, if they bring this mall in. If they bring this mall in, oh, uh, now I'm doing it. <laughs> if they bring this mall in, they'll bring jobs into the community. And it's like, oh, he did it. He, into the I community. Lied. Into the community. And, and uh, there's, uh, there's, right, there's, Pat. the strange thing is, is that, that okay that could be interesting that's a dilemma there that's an interesting dilemma do you save a building that people love or give jobs back to the community and they resolve it by going no i'm not going to do that i'm going to save the cinema oh well why bring it up in the first place can you be careful of the levels please sorry spat on the thing as well disgusting (laughs) disgusting it's just it's very bizarre like why bring these things up at all if it's going to have no weight whatsoever, like, okay, the cinema closes. That's too bad. Who cares? Who, who who actually cares other than the five little old ladies who go to see a film later on in the movie? The children, that's who cares. Won't you think of the children, Carl? Won't sh- somebody please think of the children? I'm sure they can find somewhere else. To- Won't somebody please think of the children? I'm sure they can find somewhere else to put on their twee, fiddly D productions of Oliver. Well, how rude. Also, just a... Uh, uh- an aside, but a very important one. Seemingly, every single set from every single play that had ever been put on there was still in the, the gantry because if they wanted to turn the the stage into a living room, they'd press a button and it would... That was from the, the version of Hamlet we did 17 years ago. They'd bring up a, a full king-size bed that she yeah. can sleep on. It was just out the, out the back because, oh yeah, we did King Lear 14 years ago. I assume there's a king-size bed in King Lear, hence the name King, but... I- don't think that's how it works, but wow. <laughs> sure, why not? Anyway, so yeah, Save the Cinema, we both absolutely loved it. thought it was the best film of the year. It's 
oddly disarming. It is an oddly disarming. I think that's the best way to describe it. I mean, I didn't dislike watching it, but nothing about it worked. It was weirdly disarming. Anyway, on that note, wow. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wedge gun. You sexy thing. You're not allowed to sing. You can hum, but you can't sing. (laughs) You're a hypocrite. I wasn't singing. You've sung in previous episodes. Only to Paddington, only to... Um... Oh, no, let's not sing that again, because then we'll just get into Paddington again. <laughs> or Bob will just put it at the end of the podcast I know, again. that was a lovely little touch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, on to movie number dos. And this is a film from 1997. It, it's, it many would consider it the Mac Daddy of inspirational Brit flicks. This is the film, this and Billy Elliot are the film that other inspirational Brit flicks are trying to be when they're being inspirational Brit flicks. It's The Full Monty, uh, the multi-Oscar-nominated film about six unemployed steel workers. Uh, They're out of work. It's set in Sheffield um, when all these factories have been closed down. They're all on the dole um, for our American listeners. What did they used to make in Sheffield as well? Uh, What were the factories that were shut? The steel. Yes, good. Um... I, I thought I said that for some reason, but maybe so I didn't. You didn't say steel um, factories were shut. The, the, yeah, so the steel factories were shut, and so the six main characters, they're on the dole, they're unemployed, and to our American listeners, that's our version of uh, unemployment. Um, have to go to this horrible, grotty little place and do kind of courses where you can get back into work. What do you work. mean? It's called the Job Centre Plus. Oh, yes, sorry, forgot about that. The but plus, don't forget the plus card. But it wasn't in 1997. It was probably, I don't know, when did they have the plus on the end? Uh, who knows? <laughs> Frankly. <laughs> um and you can write into us po- podcast yes, this if you know. To know when did they add the plus onto the end of the job center and the lead character played by robert carlisle he one day he's passing a um uh a, a stage that's showing a chippendale show um with you know leagues of women kind of out the door it's kind of huge hits and he's only gets joint custody of his son so he only sees him on kind of odd weekends and their relationship is quite fraught and that's when he comes on, he gets an old light bulb above his head and he convinces him and his friend, played by Mark Addy, to put on a Chippendale show. But they need to recruit more people, eventually recruiting um, Tom Wilkinson's character, who is sort of the one who's... Who's their former boss. The former boss. He, he puts on airs that he's still respectable. He, he pretends to go to work. Um, he lies to his wife that he goes to work, but he's but just as unemployed as that. feeds the ducks. Yes. 
And him, uh, so these the three lead characters played by Robert Carlyle, Mark Addy, Tom Wilkinson, they need to recruit a whole group of guys to put on the show and to give them a bit of dignity back. And so, Johnny, what did you think of the Mac Daddy, the big boss, the numero uno of inspirational Britflix? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what is wrong with you today? Put on a bit of showmanship, man. <laughs> I'm just hilarious. Um, I yeah, it's really good, isn't it? It's really good. It is good. Um, it yeah. I, I, Two beers <laughs> in, by the way. <laughs> I just I don't know how to describe it. it. It it kind of doesn't get anything wrong. It kind of the pacing is perfect. The acting is perfect. It's a great story that's fun, but also has real depth to it, and you really care about the characters. It was when it came out, it was a time when this was a massive problem in the UK, and it still is in some ways, but it was particularly a massive problem when the UK was post-Thatcher and post-industrial, and um, and it kind of shone a light into um, you know what was going on in a lot of people's lives. And there's a couple of really, you know, quite important scenes in it where characters are like trying to commit suicide and stuff, Um, which is how, you know, you've lost your whole livelihood. You don't see a way out. People, there's this whole, not to get too political, but the whole image of people, obviously. People just want to be on the dull. People, no, 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 they don't want to work. Well, no, what people want is a respectable job that keeps a roof over their head. Most people have self-respect and want that kind of thing. And as Callum rightly said, this is a film about people grabbing onto something and getting their self-respect back. And yeah, it, it works on every level. It's a really good social commentary. Um, it's even quite like, it's not, I'm not going to say it was, it's a masterpiece of shooting, but it's, it's, it's certainly far better shot than most of these kind of, the most British films. I'm sorry, but British films aren't actually that well shot. Ugly. They, yeah. There's just a lot of TV lighting in them. It's why I struggle to watch British dramas and stuff. It's just all very like flat lighting. It feels like they've lit it in the same way as they would a soap. And it annoys me greatly um but yeah anyway um and yeah it's it's you know it, it gets that kind of depravity in Sheffield and stuff really well um and it's really fun and uplifting so it, it kind of ticks every box and it and it, it doesn't stay too long it ends perfectly at the right time it doesn't try and be silly with it all it's yeah I, I can't really fault it it's very intelligently told it, it does find its balance as you say between the comedy and the serious social commentary. Uh, To show just how global this is, it's understandable why this was such a breakout success, first at the Oscars, going on to be nominated for four Oscars. And it's very rare that British films do this, especially British films that they probably had no intention of putting it for an Oscar run until it started playing as well as it did. Because it's a very unique thing. There are every country in the world has its factory or whatever industry in that particular yeah. state or particular I mean, country Sheffield's shuts down. Detroit for, for exactly and that's why um the the musical the broadway musical is set in detroit and i'm sure it's been adapted that musical in many countries and they replace it for whatever it is because it is a very universal thing um it's also interesting that the talent that they have here you have three lead actors who at the time were not famous. I mean, now we take for granted that Robert Carlyle, Mark Addy, and Tom Wilkinson are very well-respected actors who've worked in both Britain and America. But here, it's kind of some of their first jobs. Robert Carlyle had a little bit of clout because of Trainspotting. But um, 
But uh, he wasn't yet the Robert Carlyle. This was the film that made him Robert Carlyle movie star. And unlike Save the Cinema, which was kind of littered with Samantha Morton, two-time Oscar nominee, Jonathan Price, a bunch of actors from Harry Potter and a bunch of syndicated American television shows, yet you couldn't feel any weight beyond the froth. Where here, the froth is just an accent to something that is very serious of people who are really at their lowest ebb. They're lying to their partners. They're uh, considering or attempting suicides. They're, you know, they're, they're, when you take people's jobs away, it does get very serious. And, and they try to find ways to, in which to alleviate that, either through something horrible or through what they do and eventually finding th- that kind of nugget of dignity that they can reclaim. You know, the other thing I thought that was quite well done in it and was quite... I think probably for the you know mid nineties was quite forward thinking was how well they kind of portrayed a couple of gay characters in it and how well everyone in the world else in the film went oh look those two they're gay that's nice and then just kind of that was just it it was just it almost it normalized like that wasn't kind of normalizing things in certainly not in the mid nineties and certainly not in Britain we, we were still very much in the kind of kind of nudge nudge wink wink whoa look at them look at them whoa kind of comedy when it came to gay characters and depictions of uh, lgbt romance um yeah there's really not a lot to fault with this film i i I must say that the inspirational brit flick is not one of my favorite subgenres so even at the best of the best of the best of the best of the tippy top of the mountain of which this is i still have a ceiling for how much i like them just because the a particular collection of tropes isn't as winning to me as other subgenres or other genres. But even so, you know, that's not even a criticism about the film. It's doing everything perfectly. Um, even so, this film does everything. It is the one of the exceptional examples of it, along with Billy Elliot, Pride. And like all those films, Billy Elliot, Pride, this, they are able to give weight to what it is that's causing them to need to find the inspirational thing. The thing, the problem with Save the Cinema is that something so local and small, you do find yourself going, okay, it's a kind of a fun movie, but who cares about this theatre in the end? I mean, it's a shame if it gets knocked down, but let's be honest, not really. Whereas this is like, okay, but this is a, a real tragedy, what's happening to these men. They, they really are at their lowest end. And doing this thing, even if it's just for one night will give them a sense of pride, a sense of dignity that they can carry with them, even if... And what I like about the film is that it doesn't provide a solution. One of the characters, we can spoil, uh, for new listeners, we can spoil the older movie. One of the characters, the foreman, played by Tom Wilkinson, does eventually get another job. And by that point, everybody's happy for him. So there's a one mildly happy ending for one character, but the other characters still have to go back to the doll after they've done this. And I like that they don't mm. kind of um, cop out and say, oh, and then he found a job, and he found a job, and look who just won the lottery. Yeah, although I would say, you know, the, the whole point, they all had a thing or a couple of things that they needed the money. Spoiler alert, they're making some money out of stripping. Um, they all needed the money for something or other, like um, Robert Carlyle's character now can keep his kid and stuff like that. So, you know, there, there was some things, but yeah, it wasn't like... You know what would happen in like a, I mean, and also in this is not just a British thing, but an American thing. You have a freeze frame, and then it cuts to each person's face, and then it's next to it. It goes, they'll start dancing again. It'll go, Robert Carlyle's character, 
he was on the Dell for three more months. But then somebody who'd seen him that night at the thing gave him a job. And then the other character, they were gay and moved to San Francisco because of that's what the kind of shitty thing they do at the end of these films and <laughs> go into for stereotypes and stuff. And then the other thing happened and blah, blah, blah. And Tom Wilkinson, he lived for another nine years until his retirement. And then he moved to Spain with his wife. Woo! It did, yeah, it didn't do that, which is good. No, absolutely. It, it, it didn't do that. And I can't kind of, um, praise the actors enough. They really get the tone. They really, because there are some very silly moments. Like Tom Wilkinson's character has this fixation with his garden gnomes. He's very uh, uh, possessive of his material goods. And he's going for this job. And outside the window, the other lads, and at this point, they still don't like him because he was their former boss. And so, you know, he, they're trying to pull him down a peg because he's still acting as if he's their boss, even though they're all all on the dole together. And outside the window, they're playing with the garden gnomes and smashing them together. So th- there are moments of, of great silliness. So like for, despite all the weight of what's going on, I mean, even the idea of stripping is a very funny one because of like at one point uh, Tom, Wilkins says, Tom Wilkinson says, um, you're fat, He's thin, and you're both fucking ugly. And so the, it knows how to find that balance between the, the silliness and the seriousness. And when it's silly, it's very silly indeed. Like, you do have scenes where they're half naked. They're only in these kind of little thongs that they've bought. And then the police come. And that's such an English <laughs> film trope. It's like, oh, you! Come back here! Swinging the bat on. As <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's Benny Hill. It's Benny Hill. <laughs> Um, running around in these leather nappies as they're kind of jumping over garden walls, like so, it, it does have a great sense of fun and and uh, and good humoured fair play and in, in its silliness. It's not it's not one of those films that it's like, oh, this is the funny bit. This is the funny bit. Look out for it. Here comes the funny bit. Maggie Smith says something very cutting and Downton Abbey. Uh, oh, you're American, you say? <laughs> like, oh, was that the comedy bit that we just missed? I didn't. I couldn't tell because there was nothing in that that was a joke. Um, but yes, it, it it finds its balance very securely. It it's very comfortable with its tone, and it's it never feels like it's whiplashing between serious, silly, serious, silly, as some of these movies can often do. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is up with you today? <laughs> I had another thought actually that so with these inspirational Brit flicks, they they're a huge draw in the UK. Like they, you know, when they're on at so we go to a cinema called the Curzon, and the Curzon is a like a, a little little posh cinema. Um, I just opened a five screen multiplex. Yeah, there's a big posh cinema now. <laughs> Leather seats. They serve you beer and chips at your table at your seat anyway uh and we go there but it's the kind of place that middle england go to it's not like a like a bargain basement cinema and anytime something like one of these films comes out like ad fab the movie or downton abbey the movie or anything like that um they sell a lot of seats but they also sell a lot of prosecco and a lot of strawberries and cream and shit like that so they're obviously they're, they're big they really boost especially like in the summer months when maybe the cinema's a bit quiet they really boost the cinema industry in the uk and i think it's done this thing where it's actually now started massively permeating into other movies 
And the one that comes to mind that I, I really, the more I think about it, the more I hate this movie is The Finest Hour. I never saw that one. You've never seen The Finest Hour? Is that the one with Gemma Arterton? No, The Finest Hour is the, the Churchill one. Oh, with, yes, I did see that. Sorry, I'm mixing it up with another with, film. With, um, with, uh, uh, with uh, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman in a fat suit. And that whole bit on the train at the end, we're like, would, would you, do you think we should go to war? How about you? Yes, Mr. Churchill. We're all with you, Mr. Churchill. Clap, 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 clap. Yes, go for it, Mr. Churchill. You can do it. We believe in you, Mr. Churchill. Yeah, that film is utter wank. And I really fucking hate that trope. And I think that when you're saying, oh, these films really annoy me, blah, 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 blah. I think that's, I think it's actually permeating into other bits of British cinema. And that's the bit I just, the, the distilled bit I hate about it. But that's actually something that the full Monty doesn't do at all. And also other films that, again, where you could say this genre is slightly permeated into, Paddington 2. But again, Paddington 2 doesn't do the wanky bits, the shitty bits, the bits that you hate from these movies, or, you know, we all hate from these movies. Um, and I think that, for me, in my head, is the difference between these two. There's this certain, like, British wankiness that that permeates into these these feel-good movies. And in, when you manage to get one of them without that in there, then it's usually a good movie. But... You know, they're few and far between. I think it's about finding the balance between the froth and, like like we said, the silly bits and the inspirational stuff, which often is very, well, like we said, wanky, but we're <laughs> overusing this word, but it is. It's incredibly wanky. There'll be a moment where the film stops so a character can give a speech about, oh, we need to stand up for ourselves, and everybody starts applauding. and we'll fight them on the beaches. And apply this that. This is my church's blue. <laughs> And, but it's all about applying that to the weight. So, I mean, it's something like the the finest hour, the darkest hour, whatever it's called. Fuck it. Finest. Uh, finest. Is it darkest? No, finest. Finest hour. Finest. You're right. Um, but who cares? Um, Winston Churchill fat suit. Is that it should have weight. It's about the war, but they overdo the sentiment. Whereas I think here, they we, we never get away from the idea that these guys are out of work and that there is no work for them. And the only jobs that are for them, so when Mark Eddy's character momentarily, briefly becomes a security guard at a, at a, at a supermarket. At an Asda. Yes, at an Asda. Which was previously part of the Walmart group, not anymore, yes. for you American listeners. Um, and even the jobs they can get are incredibly dehumanizing. So you're never far away from that thought. So even when there is a moment where, well, like finally when they give the big dance and everybody cheers and, and their happy ending has come, you're never far away from that thought. It's similar to Billy Elliot. You're never far away from the fact that that northern mining town in Billy Elliot is absolutely fucked beyond repair, regardless of what happens to Billy or in Pride that no matter how good the ending is where uh, the miners and the and the LGSM are marching, one of those characters is going to die very shortly of AIDS. Sorry for spoiling another movie, but that was an older movie, and if we come it's to it, it's not that old, it. Callum. Well, whatever. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's too, sorry, guys, too late for the spoiler alert. <laughs> too late for the spoiler alert. But it's he, old enough he's, for He's us. had a whole beer. He's... A whole beer. Well, actually, not even one. I've got about a third of this left. But even so, you're never, even when the moments of cheering happen, you're never far away from this idea that these people are absolutely fucked. So it, it manages to find, a, when it's done right, it finds a balance between the syrup is never too syrupy, but it's just the right amount of sugar to le let you leave the cinema with a bit of a skip in your step. 
Yeah. But on a depressing thought, that's where Britain's going right now. All right, so anyway, let's move on from that. <laughs> yeah. No politics, please. We're British. Well, I do lots of politics. Follow yes, me do. on Instagram for my hot, political hot takes. The Tories are shit, if you didn't realise that's one of my political hot takes. Anyway, um, so let's go on to reviewing some things, because I think um, <laughs> we are, well, summing up some reviews, because I think we've finished reviewing both movies. So, number uno, Save the Cinema. I know this is one of your favourites of the year, Callum. Can you sum it up is and it, give me a, a number out of ten? This is one of those cases where giving an objective, kind of racing out of ten... It's a little bit hard because I do find myself enjoying it in a weird way, but it's kind of endearing, yeah, yeah, kind of ende- oddly endearing was I think what I said, but I can't let that pass. That just how bad a lot of it was. <laughs> so I think three out of ten, and I'm giving it one for just the kind of like yeah, with a pizza or a cup of tea on a rainy day, this would be quite lovely. Otherwise, it's totally, totally froth, but not in a good way, just in a quite sickening sort of way. Yeah, I kind of feel the same. Like it was fun to watch, and nothing more. And and not even like the whole thing wasn't fun. It it was only an hour and forty five minutes long, and it could have been twenty minutes shorter. Probably could have been half than... an hour, frankly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just out of kindness, out of human kindness, I'm going to give it four. <laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, if you have a pizza to eat. And nothing to watch, and you're on Now TV because that's where it is for free, or on Sky because find where something for free. else to watch on Now TV. Yeah, <laughs> June's on there. That would be my advice. <laughs> I haven't even watched June yet, but yeah, it looks good. Um, and secondly, um, I, the hot chocolate movie um, was the the Full Monty. I know. I'm, I'm taking the piss right now. Um, <laughs> well, the, Full Monty is you know it's an enduring film. I, I've probably certainly seen it half a dozen times over the years, just because it's been on TV, it's been on ITV at you know nine o'clock on a on a Wednesday evening, and it's always a film that you stop to watch because it's always good fun. It finds a good balance. It's tonally, it knows exactly what it does. It it's a star making film in a very unexpected star-making film for the three lead performers. Um, I I must admit that these inspirational Brit flicks, even at their best, are never the thing that I would stop and watch myself. Like, if there was something else on, I would probably try it. Before settling on the full Monty, I'd probably try and find that something else. So even at its best, I can't give it, like, a 10 or a 9. So I think 8 out of 10. I would just like to say, I've written on this piece of paper. What have I written on here? Um... I will give it an eight. Hey! <laughs> I know him too well. He didn't even tell me that before. I was just listening to what he was saying in his review and I was like, he'll give it an eight. And he did. Um, I am going to one-up Cal and give it a nine because I think it's pretty perfect oh, for what it does. Cool. Um, I, yeah, really like it. I think it really works in a lot of ways. The only one I'm taking out of it is because I don't think it's particularly exciting cinematography-wise um, and I don't think it, yeah, I think that's that's it. It doesn't have, it doesn't pop. It doesn't have like a zest it's, it's, to it. It's competently made, but nothing beyond yeah. competent. So it's not perfect. You know, there's there is one area for improvement. But other than that, I think it's perfectly paced. I think the script's good. I think it's funny. I think it's hard hitting. I think yeah, it works on every level. I think I, yeah, I agree with all that. You know, except for the rating. So, we have given Save the Cinema a three and a half out of ten between us, and we have given uh, The Full Monty an eight out of 
Eight and no. a half out of ten. Yeah, eight, eight, so eight go and, and watch the full Monty. Is the, the conclusion? And we watched it a... on Disney Plus in the UK. I have no idea where it is in the rest of the world. Go find it yourself, though. Good luck. You're, and you're smart people. You'll figure it out. Bye. Bye. It's a bit of a shambles that episode, wasn't it? <laughs>